0: Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender.
1: Hey, welcome to the show, all of you, all of you great listeners. Thank you for your support. And before we get into this very serious subject, I want to shout out a special hello to my dear friend, Yoshiko Dart, Yoshiko, I'm thinking about you all the time. I just didn't want you to think I've ever forgotten you for even one second. Okay, well, when I said it's a serious topic today, it is a very serious topic because we're going to be talking about something that's very personal to me, and that is Alzheimer's since we all have so many people to us close in our life dealing with this, and I'll bet you are also um, and you know, a lot of people don't realize there are disabilities and, that include Alzheimer's. But guess what? There are disabilities that lead to Alzheimer's. So that's why I wanted to have Michael Ellenbogen. He is a great advocate for those living with Alzheimer's. He's an author and speaker. Michael, welcome to the show.
2: Having me, Joyce.
1: Well, Michael, how about we start by you telling our listeners how you first got involved with the Alzheimer's community?
2: Well, I was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I guess, at age uh, 39. I was starting to have problems, and it wasn't until, I guess, about age 49 that I was diagnosed. And at that point in time, I got involved for my own sake to try to understand more things about me uh, with the Alzheimer's Association And I quickly realized, after getting involved, that there wasn't many avenues out there for people like myself. And what I mean by that is, we weren't out there trying to get the word or advocating for this disease, yet this disease was having such a great impact on so many. To be honest with you, there's 5.4 million people living with Alzheimer's today, and yet when you turn on the TV and things, I mean, today you may hear a little bit more about people, t- about Alzheimer's, but you're always hearing about breast cancer, uh, you're always hearing about HIV, but very few people were out there making a wave or trying to get the attention for Alzheimer's. So I realized that I had to do something, and by doing that, I started reaching out to various organizations and other people like myself and caregivers, and the one thing I kept running into is, people just didn't want to get involved they were afraid to come out it it was almost like talking about hiv you know so many years ago where people were afraid to even talk about the subject so because of that i realized i was not quite on my own there's a couple other people that are doing similar things like me out there but not many who have alzheimer's so i started really going out there and starting knocking on doors and trying to get all the attention that i possibly can Because if people like ourselves aren't willing to stand up for this cause, who else will? So that's how I started reaching out to people such as yourself and other people who could possibly have an influence out there so we can try to make awareness for Alzheimer's. All
1: right, now I I have a question to ask you here, Michael. You were saying you were first diagnosed officially when you were 49. How, how, How many years ago was that?
2: That was almost four years ago. I'll be uh, 54 this uh, May.
1: Okay, but you're thinking that you noticed what could have been the beginnings when you were 39.
2: Correct. Okay, but,
1: but why I want you to explain that to me is I've heard people, like I once heard, I think it was the CEO of the Alzheimer's National Association speak, saying that if you're diagnosed at a young age that this progresses very quickly, whereas it sounds with you, if you were diagnosed when you were 39 and now you're, uh, you know, soon to be four years from now, uh, four years ago, excuse me, is when you were first officially diagnosed, how is it that this has been so
2: slow with you? Well, for one, I am very fortunate. Uh, my My course isn't taking the normal course. I mean, most people from the time they're diagnosed they have four to eight years to live uh... my case because it's been a very slow progression uh... i kind of consider myself lucky because my disease is just going extremely slow so because of that i'm able to function a lot better than a lot of people who have this disease now on the other hand I started experiencing problems at 39, so I knew there was something physically wrong with me then or I was starting to experience things that were not normal for me. And because of that, it took me, believe it or not, 10 years to be diagnosed uh, that I actually had this disease. Uh,
1: Can you explain to our listeners what were some of
2: those first signs? Well, I was a high-level manager uh, for a 500 fortune company. And I slowly started forgetting phone numbers, extensions, uh, my meeting times that I had to attend meetings. And you, what you got to keep in mind is I was one of those people that I never even needed a day minder. I kept track of everything in my head. I never, I hardly used to have to write anything down. So that was very different for me. And, you know, I even were forgetting my own employees' names, the, the, the people who directly reported to me. And, you know, when I, when I mentioned things like that to people, they said, oh, I go through that too, it's normal for me. But we all have those moments, but I think what we have to try to realize is how frequently do those moments happen to you? If they happen too frequently, then I think you probably need to see a doctor.
1: So, so then what did you do?
2: Well, I mean, were you,
1: were you able to keep working, or what happened?
2: Well, I, at that point, I was very... You know, upset, not knowing what was going on, and I went to see doctors, and uh, they were telling me that I was either stressed or I was depressed. And and I knew I wasn't, but, you know, I, I was willing to do whatever the doctors were telling me to do. You know, many were telling me that I should see psychiatrists, psychologists, and I went to all of them, and they all came back and said, there was nothing wrong with you, you know, th- th- there's got to be some other solution. And this went on for years and years and years. Uh, till I finally gave up on the doctors altogether because nobody could tell me what was wrong. Then.
1: Go,
2: go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. Then it was, I guess, probably about seven or eight years later that I was just continuously declining, and I said, you know, I have to start all over again with new doctors. I didn't want any of my previous doctors to know that I had seen other doctors because they all kind of get influenced by past diagnosis. So I started from scratch with all new doctors. And this time, when I went to the doctors, they, believe it or not, still couldn't come up with anything wrong. But in the meantime, one of the psychologists that I went to see had indicated to my wife that, did you ever consider Alzheimer's? And my wife, even, believe it or not, being a medical person, she says, no, I didn't even know people that young could have that. So she did some research, and she thought that PET scans would be a good way for identifying that. So when the doctor this time came back and said, well, Mike, we don't see anything wrong with you, my wife said, well, can you do a PET scan? Because we'd like to see if that maybe shows something. Sure enough, the PET scan came back that it was shown conclusive of having Alzheimer's. And that's when they started sending me the doctors to be thoroughly checked out for that particular disease. And since then, I had many doctors come back and tell me, yes, that I do have Alzheimer's. But it actually took her pushing and her research to identify what the doctor should have known in the first place.
1: Right. Well, what did you do then? I mean, did you get on medication, or what did you do?
2: Well, I was put on uh, medications. Uh, At that time, it was Aricept, and I'm no longer on that, but I'm on other drugs now. Uh, Unfortunately, some of these medications you uh, get some side effects that aren't always good or beneficial to you, and not all these drugs work for everybody. Uh, In my case, it it did seem to work at the beginning, Uh, but again, with any of these drugs, uh, I want to make it very clear, they do not extend your life in any way whatsoever. What they do is they help you cognitively process and focus a little bit better, and while they do that for some, uh, they don't do it for everybody. I mean, everybody is different. Uh, and it only tends to last anywhere from six months to a year and a half is really the benefits that people can tend to get out of these drugs. But it's the best we have at this point in time.
1: Yeah, so it sort of slows down the progression, but not, obviously, never a cure, but for a time period slows down, as you mentioned, uh, deterioration from the cognitive level.
2: Correct. Somehow it boosts those signals uh, and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm giving you the, ex- the right weight, uh, the sciences, but it somehow boosts those signals so you're able to somehow focus a little bit better. Uh, you're still really declining though at the same rate throughout.
1: Yeah, Well, that's good though that you know that it has to a degree helped you.
2: Correct. Um, it, it definitely did. I mean, my wife noticed a substantial difference in me uh, almost uh, with, within weeks after taking the drugs.
1: Is that right? Well, that's good. That That's wonderful. Now, what we're going to do when we come back from break is we have had uh, listeners... Earlier when they found out I was going to have you on, send me some questions. So we'll give you some of those questions um, and continue talking to you about this whole situation, which um, I give you a lot of credit for getting out there, being an advocate. So good for you. That's great you're doing that. But right now we're going to get ready to go to break. If you just joined us, we are talking to michael ellenbogen about living with alzheimer's and he has as you can hear become a great advocate for people living with this disability we'll be right back this is joyce bender america's voice where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. don't go away we'll be right back with michael
3: A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Spender.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. We have a courageous advocate today. Uh, Michael Ellenbogen talking about living with Alzheimer's. May I tell you, that alone takes great courage. So actually, that is one of the questions from one of our listeners for you, Michael. And the question is, what gave you the ability to talk about this? As you know, most people do not want to, including my own father. What is your answer to that? And that is, excuse me, that is Linda from Minnesota. Go ahead.
2: Well, when I was in business, I was very successful of being able to accomplish almost anything I always set my heart out to. And I always had the passion to be able to get anything done. As I had indicated earlier, I realized very quickly that people like myself were afraid to come out and talk about this. And I realized that we weren't getting the things that we needed for Alzheimer's. Uh, there's so many people living with this disease yet there's such a disparity around it So, i was trying to figure out ways of making a difference and I, I wouldn't say it's courage because i was the person that was always afraid to stand up and talk in front of people but i think i realized that i had to get this passion in order to have to do something and i guess this passion has actually made me more courageous to be able to speak in front of people, and I've been able to overlook, you know, some of the things that I guess most of us deal with. So because of that, I've kind of educated myself being at various caregivers' meetings and Alzheimer's Association meetings, and I've learned a lot, you know, just being online and talking to people and just trying to get out there in front of government and senators and everybody to try to make awareness. I mean, we have such a huge disparity. I can't even begin to mention, and I'd love to share those numbers with you if you like. But You're it's, right ahead. Believe it or not, our government today contributes from their NIH budget 18.7% to cancer. They contribute 99 9 to HIV. This is for research. For Alzheimer's all they contribute is 1.4%. I mean, that is such a huge disparity, yet there's three times as many people living with Alzheimer's than there are with HIV. People who have breast cancer, if they're diagnosed in the early uh, stages, they have a 98% survival rate. Yet people with Alzheimer's have a 0% survival rate. It's things like that. That made me courageous. Uh, I, you know, I, I just got so tired of seeing that nobody was coming out, including the caregivers. You know, I, I tried to enlist caregivers, and caregivers told me, "Mike, I don't have a, a minute of free time, and you're asking me to speak up. All I want is a minute away from Alzheimer's." Mm. So, hearing these people tell me these things, and just hearing the patients who they're afraid to even be associated with the word Alzheimer's because they are so embarrassed. I said, somebody has to do this. And I said, you know, I'm good at doing these kind of things. Let me get after and try. And that's what I've been doing.
1: Wow. Well, listen, why don't you tell our listeners? I'm sure there are people listening to the show right now that maybe have just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or have a family member with Alzheimer's. Um, how, Michael, are you dealing with it personally? And how about your family?
2: Well, i got to be honest with you, it's not very easy. I, I think doing this advocating for me has made my life a lot better because I think if I wasn't focusing on this cause, I would probably be sitting here focusing and being depressed because I would have nothing else to do. In life, we need something meaningful to do. And I found this to be very meaningful for me to be able to do something. Now, on the other hand, living with my wife, dealing with this, it's not an easy thing. You know, it's like there's no fine line of when I need help or when I don't need the help. And I tell her many times, hey, I need your help to do things, and she'll jump in to help me. And then sometimes I'll take her head off because I can do these things. Don't tell me. So it's like it's hard for the caregiver to know when to help people like myself. So it's a real a constant struggle living with somebody like myself. And I I, I wish I could tell people what the right answer is for this because I can't even tell my own wife the right answer for, you know, how we can uh, fine-tune things to make it better. I think everybody is different, and I think the big thing is communication has to happen, and we so tend not to communicate. And we're so willing that we'll talk to the Alzheimer's patient and say, oh, he doesn't want to deal with it, and we don't – talk about i think it's important to force that person somehow to break that wall and barrier to talk to them whether they want to or not because if you don't open that 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 dialogue you're it's going to be bad for both
1: yeah and you know i i agree with you i really do think that i think that is uh so true i do i really do Well, this young onset of Alzheimer's disease, apparently that's different than when you are older and you get Alzheimer's. Is that true?
2: Yes. Uh, It's Y-O-A-D, young onset Alzheimer's disease. Basically, that is for the age of 65 and below uh, are labeled with that. And the youngest on record, believe it or not, is 24 years old who has that disease. Uh, or who had that disease. I actually know someone who's 33 who has 3 kids. Their wife's uh had to stay home now and take care of him because he's unfortunately uh, unable to take care of himself any longer. They're about to lose their home and the one thing people don't realize with Alzheimer's especially when it hits you when you're younger, it has such a greater impact financially because At least when you get a little bit older, you are able to create some nest egg for yourself. You're able to hopefully have some life insurance and things. Most of the younger people don't have those things in place. They're still trying to put their kids through through college or something. They didn't even start to put them through college. So it has such a huge financial impact that most people just do not realize. Um, uh, Another thing, and and I just want to clarify, you know, we, we, we say older people get Alzheimer's. I I, I want to clear that up, because many people think that Alzheimer's, as you get older, that our minds tend to go, and that's just normal Alzheimer's. It's not. People who get Alzheimer's actually get a disease, and they die. When we get older, yes, our cognitive skills become a little bit weaker for some of us, but that doesn't mean we have Alzheimer's. It's two different things, and I just want to make it very clear, because so many people think that, oh, as I become older, I become Alzheimer's, and that is so wrong.
1: Okay, we got a question here from Cindy Philadelphia. Can you explain to me why some people older, when they are diagnosed with Alzheimer's, live a short time, and then there are other people diagnosed with Alzheimer's that leave, live 10 years? Why is that?
2: I could not begin to tell you why. However, I do know the majority of people who get Alzheimer's get it for, live 4 to 8 years. Uh, what ends up happening is there's some people that can end up living to 20 years. There isn't a lot of them that do that, but there are, that's what tends to happen. I have a slight theory on that, but again, this is my personal theory. A lot of the people that I have met who were who have YoAD tended to be very high-level functioning people. I haven't found anybody who's like working on an assembly line or anything like that. Who has, who, who has Y-O-A-D. They were all either lawyers, doctors, very high-level skilled people. So I think because we use very high-level executive functioning skills, we were able to determine when we started having problems multitasking and things, we were able to diagnose early ourselves that there was something physically wrong with us. And that's what probably made us go to doctors much sooner than somebody who was probably doing a job that's very repetitive every day. So that's my theory and my take on it. I could be wrong, but a lot of people tend to agree with me on that.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you something. I One day when I was speaking to the Alzheimer's Association, they told me that it is possible that a person, I'm I'm meaning now whatever age, 70, 80, 85, uh, that once they are officially diagnosed, just as you mentioned, there can be years prior to that. Look how many years prior to that you were having issues. So, you know, there can be years prior to that that the person has it but doesn't know yet because it is not, as they say, full-blown where you get the diagnosis, that there are some people that stay in a stage, I shall say, For a year, five years, ten years, there's just no exact science here because obviously not everyone's brain is the same, although what is in common is there is no cure, so we know eventually something is going to happen. But that really is something I don't think anyone could explain to you.
2: No, and uh, in fact, I was just at an Alzheimer's uh, Association meeting yesterday and uh, a speaker there, William uh, Thice, P- he's a PhD uh, for the Alzheimer's Association, he seemed to imply, and I've heard this before, that they tend to think before we actually start to get the real symptoms of Alzheimer's, they th- actually think that this starts to develop uh, probably as early as 20 years before we even start to see signs of it. So yeah. it's very possible things are happening to us that we just don't even realize. But unfortunately, the science isn't there yet today to explain these things. You know, hopefully we'll get there soon.
1: Well, let me, let me skip over here and ask you for a minute about the caregiver. Uh, how hard do you think it is to be a caregiver of someone living with Alzheimer's? And, and what advice do you
2: have for any caregiver? the biggest advice I could tell them is they have to, have to communicate. I mean, my wife and I just went to this uh, thing yesterday at the Alzheimer's Association, and it was a fantastic, uh, uh, I-, I guess, form that they had. But it got my wife and I, it-, it was actually geared to caregivers, this form. And the speaker there said some things that were so wonderful and in fact, uh, I would recommend her name is Tipa Snow. She was such a fantastic person teaching people about how to be a better caregiver. And because of the things that she was able to tell us, it kind of got my wife and I a little bit closer to start communicating a little bit more because we've kind of not spoken too much about this disease. You know, when she's been interviewed on TV and radio, she's had an opportunity i've had opportunity to hear things she said and i and she had opportunities to hear things that i said but we never really speak about it and that's when we tend to learn various things about ourselves by hearing us speak on tv or radio it shouldn't be that way though we need to speak to each other and figure out these things in advance so we know how to plan better you know one of the statements she made to me yesterday is you know we really need to start doing things more I keep waiting for the next big thing to happen to you and I'm overlooking the simpler things of the time that we should be spending together. And that's yeah. like, my God. That is real, that's really a good point right there. And she's like telling me these things and but it, but it's just communications that we went to that opened the doors but we need to talk even more and we just don't. But I think this is an eye opener for us what happened yesterday and that hopefully we'll be able to start communicating a little bit more and realize we, I don't have a lot of time left. You can't keep, wait for that next big step to happen. We're going to waste too many times and resources doing that.
1: Yeah, right. That's why you have to enjoy every day and enjoy all the little things, because if you spend all your time thinking, oh, this is going to happen, well, first of all, you know, anything could happen to any of us at any moment, walking right out the door. But if you spend your time thinking about all those things that could happen, you miss the time that you're living right now. So I think that's really good advice uh, to give to anyone, Michael. I think that's excellent advice. But right now we're going to get ready to go to break. Hey, if you just joined us, what a show. I mean, what a show. Talk about really real-time living it with Michael. Michael on VoiceAmerica.com, on Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael.
3: By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health and Wellness.
0: Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: If you have a question or comment, call in toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability
3: Matters. Here's Joy Spender.
1: Hey, welcome back. We are talking to Michael Ellen I feel it is electrifying. Talking to someone who's an advocate for people living with Alzheimer's who, who is this person living with Alzheimer's. So, you know, talk about real time on the spot experience. What more could you have than this? Hey, I I just wanted to get back to something for a moment. Uh, Michael, you know, I was reading today, and it was horrifying, about in New York at these facilities for people with intellectual disabilities, such as significant autism or uh, significant Down syndrome, whatever it is, how they saw all these people taken advantage of and assaulted by caregivers. Because, you know, a lot of people don't realize that when they have someone to come in their home... This isn't like a trained, skilled nurse. This is someone that's just going to the home, you know, for the basics, such as helping you get dressed or or keeping you company so the other person has time to do whatever they want to do. But, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. And I don't know. What do you think about that?
2: Well, one thing I think is it's very important that you really trust the person that you're going to have being the caregiver for you, because to, to be honest with you, with this disease, the patient cannot speak up in most cases and doesn't know any better anymore. They've lost that cognitive function to be able to sometimes even explain if they're being abused. And they may be abused or they may be taking advantage of, and there's no way they can even get that word out to you and communicate that with you, you know, depending on what part of the stages they're in. So I think it's very important that you really do your homework on who you have, and you have to stay in constant touch. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a true believer, if you have cameras available that you can put in your home, if you have somebody watching your care, you know, somebody at home, I would do that. I mean, you know, hey, if it's your loved one, you want to take every precaution if possible. I mean, there's so many horror stories you hear today, and I I can tell you I've seen people who have already tried to take advantage of me. Uh, I mean, I know mean, the day's going to come that people will be able to do that. I've become more gullible in things. So it's very easy for them to start to take advantage of people like this.
1: Well, here we go. Maybe this relates in a way. We have uh, Sandy from Tennessee. Her question is, I have to ask you this question. I may know it may be a little difficult for you to answer, but... I've got to know, do you think it's better for the person to be moved to a facility or to somehow try to keep the person at home?
2: My God, i got to tell you, I hope my wife keeps me here as long as possible. I do not, and I mean do not, want to end up in a facility. The one thing that I learned yesterday is that you need to try to have as much of your environment that you've always had to keep it dissimilar to what you've had. If you eat at 7 o'clock in the morning, to continue doing that at 7 o'clock in the morning. all the, to, to keep it as close as possible to what realistic life was for you. The minute you go into a facility, I think all that changes. There's so much that changes. I, I just can't even fathom or imagine doing that. I wouldn't hope my wife will continue to, to, to keep me here as long as possible.
1: Yeah, well the part two to this question is how how you know who becomes the caregiver
2: then well in my particular case i happen to be lucky my wife happens to be a medical person not everybody has that luxury but i think they need to try to figure out how they can do it again it it, it comes down to money it comes down to many other things that, you know are you capable of doing it not everybody can even be a caregiver i mean you know it's not easy i mean you know some of the things that i've heard you know, that people like myself do are horror stories. I consider them horror stories, you know, that they have to live with, with people like me. And they and you know what? they are the things that you don't hear about that, they are, that uh, caregivers deal with because nobody wants to talk about those things. They're too embarrassed. But I think it's important for caregivers to come out and talk about those things so people start to realize what, my God, people really have to deal with when they're dealing with Alzheimer's patients because they, don't, they only hear the a couple good things about it, but they never hear the things that I've heard and, and, and I've read that, you know, it scares me to death to know that somewhere down the line I may be doing those things.
1: Well, see, what happens a lot of time is there are agencies you can work with where you can stay home versus going into a facility. The only thing is it's so expensive. So I don't know how people, you know, work that out, but I understand exactly what you're saying.
2: Well, if I could add one thing. I mentioned earlier, I had the luxury of meeting this lady yesterday. Her name is Tipa Snow. Uh, I know she has some kind of website. I haven't gone out there yet. But she teaches people how to be caregivers or better caregivers, and she also teaches professionals. I have to tell you, as an Alzheimer's person, to hear what she said at this meeting yesterday, it hit so close to home for me. And she was so right on. I mean, she was trying to teach caregivers, but I'm an Alzheimer's person. And they didn't even want an Alzheimer's person, to be honest with you, at this forum, but I wanted to go with my wife. And what she said was so true that I can honestly say to my wife that I want her to learn from this lady because what she taught was so fantastic that I think every caregiver after will be able to benefit from what she was able to convey to us. And, and what, what made such an impact on you? Oh, just the way she presented it and, and <laughs> how she said that, you know, you know, many times they think, you know, Alzheimer's patients are inappropriate with the way they do things. And she had an explanation for why they did many of these things. And they, it wasn't inappropriately why they were doing it. It was just the way they were thinking or the way they were brought up. It, it just made so much more sense. And most people, and I've even heard other people who are actual... Professional caregivers say some of these things, and after hearing her, they were so wrong. I mean, it, right. it, it's, it's scary. Yeah. I mean, you know, right. these are people that are being paid to know how to handle people who have Alzheimer's, and they don't have the faintest idea how to deal with them.
1: Yeah, well, there is a total change in the person's personality, and a change in things they do. Now, something that worries a lot of people is this sundowner phenomena. Now, are you experiencing
2: that or not? When you say sundown, you mean as towards the end of the day, you, you, yeah. you're not, I, I always become less and less uh, at the end of the day. I'm not as at the top of my game as I would say it. Uh, I I'd function so much better in the morning, uh, but You know, I I, I tend to have more difficulties uh, as you you get later in the day, you know, and I try not to do various things, you know, late in the day. I wish, like, somebody wanted to do some meeting with me tomorrow morning that was, well, in the afternoon that was very important to me, and I asked them, can we do this early in the morning? Because I function better then. So you have to know that. But, again, you you can only do that to the point that you realize these things. There's going to come a point that I'm not going to realize that. And I'm just going to do the best that I can. And, you know, we're all impacted differently. You know, some of us can't speak anymore. And, you know, that's one of the things that she had functioned, you know, she was talking about. She said, you know, you, you see a person who has Alzheimer's and they no longer can speak, but then all of a sudden you see him get up and are all wild and back and forth and back and forth and making all these noises. It's like you have to realize if that's not the norm, he's probably in pain somewhere. He might have broken his arm. You have to try to visually... Try to understand what might have happened to him or her. And you have to be a detective. Don't assume that the person's going crazy or they need to be sedated. There's something physically wrong with them, and you need to figure that out. I'm telling you, the things that this lady brought to our attention was such an eye-opener. I wish every person could understand this. Right. Well,
1: what I was talking about also with Sundowners is the wandering phenomena. You know how the person will leave their home and just start going somewhere? I can see why you were all so concerned about facilities because I know of a few where that's exactly what happened, but they didn't have a secure situation, so that person actually kept going and ended up uh, dying because they couldn't find them for so long. Yeah, what do you do to prevent that?
2: Well, they they do make bracelets and things that you can get today. Uh, again, there's a cost factor with these things. But there are things that they could put on you, GPS and things, and they can track you down. I mean, uh, so far, all I carry is a name tag and of an emergency phone number and everything that's always on me. Uh, I, I do tend to get lost. Uh, I have GPS, though. Uh, I, I use that, and I don't worry about it. I mean, I'm always willing to ask help, you know, and, you know, I know I'm going to have to do that a lot, and I know I'm going to get lost more frequently, I don't let that scare me, though. You know, but that's easier to say than one day that maybe my mind won't think that way, that I and I will become scared. I don't know. You know, it's easy to say now.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, um, that's a good idea you just gave
2: people there with the GPS. Oh yes, there, there, there's many things out there. I mean. There, there, there's many tools. I mean, the Alzheimer's Association I know offers some, and there's things. That, you know, the internet's a powerful place. I mean, if people do searches, there, there's all kinds of things. I mean, they they got implants that they put in for dogs that they could track a dog. Well, they got things for humans too. I mean, it, I mean, it, it's it's pretty much the, the the same technology that they use for trying to track somebody in their house. You know, that, so right, they don't right. leave the house. You know, they they have that technology. There's again, it's at a price, but. Hey, sometimes it's worth the price if you want that assurance, Right. Um, now,
1: Michael, why is it, getting back to what you talked about earlier, why do you think it is, and let me just say, if they didn't do this, they probably could get help sooner with medication, but why is it that people are absolutely so hesitant to tell anyone that they have Alzheimer's, I, or or wait a minute, or that their loved one has Alzheimer's.
2: I don't understand it myself. I mean, I, I, you know, some people think of it as an embarrassment. Uh, some people are ashamed; they don't want people to know about it. I mean, on the other hand, I I'd rather tell somebody, you know, I have it because I don't want them to think. I'm not smart or something, and you know, and I want them to realize I have some sort of disability, and that's why I am them the way I am. Uh, I I don't understand it. I mean, they act like it was HIV, and they did something wrong, you know, like years ago. We didn't do nothing wrong to get this disease, nothing whatsoever. And I don't understand why people are ashamed of it. They they need to talk about this and come out. You know, yes, you know, you know, sometimes. The caregivers embarrassed to say some of the things that they did, or they go out to dinner and they're making it an embarrassment. And they they try to make excuses. I mean that's the wrong thing. I mean I've, I've heard of people who don't even tell their direct family members that they have it. I mean that, that 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 that's a shame. I think even doctors sometimes don't even want to tell the patient. They'll tell the caregiver that they they feel that there's no sense in telling the patient because there's no hope for them anyway. That's,
1: That 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 that
2: that, that is totally ridiculous. I mean, people want to know, just like I wanted to know, what was physically going on with my mind. What was was I going crazy? I mean, it was finally good to get an answer of what was physically wrong with me.
1: Well, when you finally knew what was wrong with you, if I may ask you, I know you said if you didn't do this, you'd be depressed. I think I have. But you have unbelievable courage. I mean, I really don't know very many people that would be the way you are. Um, and not just courage, but it doesn't seem like you're afraid. You know, like, how, how are you being like this?
2: I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I can't answer that. All, all I know is I have this passion to have to get the word out and to make a difference in this world. And if I can leave this world with one thing, that's what I want to be remembered for. You know, I've always been a person to help people uh, I mean, I worked for another organization, Twilight Wish Foundation. Uh, the, the, they actually grant wishes for seniors. I've been doing that for many years. I've always been one to help others. Uh, and if I feel I can help people, that's my passion. And, and this is a place that I feel needs a lot of help because it's a, it's a disease that's so overlooked that nobody wants to speak about, and that's the worst part of it. You know, you know we, we want something to change with this disease, but there's nobody to do it. You know, when you go to Congress and senators, you know, when people have HIV or cancer, you have so many survivors, and they're all out there on Capitol Hill, and they're knocking down the doors. The problem with this disease, there are no survivors, so there's nobody to come knocking on the doors. So it's so much harder to try to open those doors. So I I, I guess I'm letting this drive me. This passion's driving me to do that, and I guess it's somehow making me overlook all the other things, factors.
1: Well, you're definitely not embarrassed because here you are on voiceamerica.com, and I've got to tell you, being that I live with epilepsy and that there are many people that don't want to admit that, I give you such credit for speaking out, speaking up, um, because I know... just by you doing this you are helping people you are you're a good person Michael
2: well you have to educate people and I think that's the whole problem with this disease people just don't know about it I mean even people who have Alzheimer's they go around telling people oh yes there's drugs there's drugs but there are no drugs it's and if we're given the wrong perception out the people are going to learn incorrectly so that's part of the game is educating people to understand and if I am 110% 110% open with anybody. I willing to answer any kind of question. If they can learn from my problems and issues to help somebody else, I'm, I'm more than happy to do that.
1: Well, Michael, obviously you've had great influences on you in your life. Do you have a role model, and if so, who is it?
2: I don't per se have one specific role model. I've had a lot of people in my life that I learned some very important things, like my dad... Uh, a lot of family members who are in business. I had some fantastic managers that I worked for over the years that they all embedded a little bit of themselves into me, and it's made me to be a better player out there in this world.
1: Yeah, well, you you are a great person out there in this world. Let me just tell you that. <clears throat> you have accomplished so many great things in your life. Now, before I ask you about your greatest accomplishment, I do see I have one other question from a listener I don't want to forget, and this question is from Ted in Maine. And the question is, have you noticed that many people with Alzheimer's totally change their personality when they have Alzheimer's?
2: Yeah, uh, the the few that I know I think have And that I I, I don't know if they're depressed or what, but they're just not as sociable anymore. And I think that's part of the problem of not having a cause or something to do. I mean, I think it's very important that while we're still unable to work or do what we may have done, I think it's important to still find something to do in life that you still have a passion to do. The problem is, the way our society is, they don't allow us or give us that opportunity. You know, uh, there's so much more I could do if somebody would give me that opportunity, but nobody wants to give me that opportunity. I mean, there's a lot of things I could still do to help, and I would be willing to do it for free to work with organizations and things, but they just don't want to give people like ourselves a chance. There's laws that prevent you from doing things like that, which is sad.
1: That is sad. Well... I mean, you have already accomplished so many great things in your life, Michael, but what would you say is your greatest accomplishment at this
2: time? Uh, I I don't know if it's one accomplishment. I mean, I've been very fortunate. Like I said, I've I've helped so many people over the years, and I've written a book uh, at one point in time that helped so many out there. Uh, It was called The Insider's Guide to Saving Money. Now I'm working on another book, hopefully to give them some ideas of uh, what it's like dealing with Alzheimer's. And uh, I guess this advocacy thing is probably one of the biggest things, you know, for me now in in my life, you know, that I feel I'm accomplishing a lot. While I'd like to think I've accomplished a lot more with it, uh, I I sometimes feel that I'm not, you know, because of, you know, I've been trying to reach out to so many different people to help me with this cause, and I sometimes feel like I'm failing. (laughs) Even though I'm lucky and fortunate enough to be on shows like this, I, I just don't see the people embracing me and coming on board to help.
1: Well, we're embracing you on voiceamerica.com, and, Michael, you are making a difference. Just by talking about right now, I guarantee you there's someone listening that was ashamed, that didn't want to talk about this, that you're giving hope to. Always remember that. You know, I tell people you can't change the world. That's true. But to one person, you may be the world. So what you're doing is the world to one person. But, Michael, before you leave, and I want to thank you so much for being with us and for being an advocate and for speaking out about Alzheimer's and trying to help people and trying to educate people, but I wanted to ask you, if you had one message, what would it be that you'd like to leave with our listeners?
2: Well, I am looking for people to jump on board and help my cause. I have a website. It's called the Michael Ellenbogen What I'm looking for, and I know if we can get this accomplished, we, we, we can lick Alzheimer's without a doubt. I need CEOs, I need famous people, celebrities to come on board and jump on this cause because if we can get them to get the attention that it needs, I know we can get the people and the answers, and I really think if we can do all that, we're going to get these people coming out of the closet. and They'll be more willing to talk about having Alzheimer's, and the caregivers will be willing to do that. But I think it's got to be so much more out there in the open that people are willing to talk about it. And we're starting to see a little bit of that. But we don't quite have enough people like you have for breast cancer, or that you have for cancer. You need, I'm sorry, for HIV. But you need people to come out and do that. If we can do that, I, I, I have no doubts. We will have people communicating and talking about this.
1: Well, that is wonderful, and I hope everyone listens to what you've said. You know, we end every show with a quote from a great leader in America or for someone that's impacting the lives of others living with disabilities. So today, the quote is, you know, people get frustrated because their loved ones who have Alzheimer's. Oh, he doesn't recognize me anymore. How can I recognize this person if they don't recognize me? You know they're not the same person. Well, they are the same person. But they've got a brain disease, and it is not their fault. They've got this disease, said President Ronald Reagan. And with that, Michael, once again, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for having me, Joyce. Hey, Michael, what's that website? One more time. It's Michael MichaelEllenbogenMovement.com. MichaelEllenbogenMovement.com. Check it out. This is Joyce Bender.